little bugger off. When I'm ready. Oh, right. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind with the permission of the Worcester News and recorded on Thursday the 21st of February 2019 here at Colin Chance House, Worcester. I'm Evelyn Brock, the editor for this evening, and with me to read the news articles are Paddy Fellows, Hugh Thomas and Moira Lowe. And our sound engineer is Barry Hurd. Our clerical assistant is Janet Thomas. A warm welcome to all listeners, especially new ones. I hope everyone enjoys our offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers' letters, birthdays, on this day, and thought for the week. Obituaries are still included, but have now moved to a new spot, following the closing music. So, if you wish to hear the obituaries, please stay tuned then. Also, do let us know your birthday so we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users. But if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone. Worcester, that's 01905 767 766, or add a note to your wallet. We do ask our listeners that if there's any problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. Well, at this point, we should have had birthdays, but unfortunately, there are none to celebrate this week. Better luck next time. Now I'm going to ask Moira to read the thought for the week. Okay, it's Acts 13, 37 to 39a. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Thank you, Moira. Now some useful telephone numbers. Out of hours, medical help, 6 to 8 p.m., 0300-1233-211 NHS Non-Emergency 111 Worcester Live, that includes the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and the Henry Sandon Hall Worcester 01905-611-427 Malden Theatre 01684 Worcester Hub for council matters 
Worcester 765765 or Worcester 72233. Crime Stoppers 0800-555-111 and lastly Samaritans 116123 and that's a free phone number. Now I'll ask the team to introduce themselves as they read the week's headlines and headline articles. Please note that this week there are two days with double headlines and their articles. So I'll be starting with Friday the 15th. Accused pictured with gun, in inverted commas, <coughs> before alleged acid attack. <coughs> Images were shown to the jury during the acid attack conspiracy, conspiracy trial at Worcester Crown Court yesterday. Six men and a woman deny conspiracy to apply a corrosive fluid with intent to burn, maim, disable or disfigure the boy or do him grievous bodily harm. This was a case which has been running for some time about a little boy who was out with his mother in a Worcester shop and who was had acid thrown at him. Adam Ketch claims this same gun was used by Pulko, that's Norbert Pulko, one of the alleged conspirators, to threaten him into squirting the boy on Saturday, July the 21st last year at 2.16pm. The prosecution case is that the conspiracy was driven by the boy's 40-year-old Afghan father who used middlemen Jabbar Paktia and Saeed Husseini to recruit three Slovak men and a Czech woman, Martina Badiova. The motive, say the prosecution, was to make the father's estranged wife look like a bad mother and win custody of their children. Pulko, 22, Ketch, 27, and Dudi, 25, were arrested at Headbourne House, Sutherland Road, London, at 3am on July the 23rd last year, and the BB gun seized from Pulko's room. Ketch claims he had no idea the white bottle Pulko pushed into his hand contained acid. Mm -hmm. He also said he was high on crystal meth at the time. Ketch told the jury Pulko changed the SIM card on his phone and led him hostage in London after a police press release was issued showing CCTV of the three men in the Worcester shop. Pulko's barrister, Melanie Simpson, said Ketch had been seen playing with the same gun he claimed was used to threaten him and told him. She said, I suggest you are trying to take this jury for idiots. Jonathan Rees QC, prosecuting, produced telephone records which showed that Pulko, Doody and Ketch were all at DAI leisure, leisure pursuits in Briarley Hill at 4.30pm on July the 19th when the BB gun was purchased. 
a receipt for the £54.99 air pistol with Pulko's Essex address on it was also shown to the jury. But Ketch said he could not remember going there and had not noticed the gun, seeing it for the first time when Pulko used it to threaten him and best friend Doody on the day of the acid attack. Photos were shown of both Doody and Pulko posing with the same BB gun and smiling. The photos were taken on Doody's phone inside Doody's home at 9.15pm on July the 20th last year, the day before the alleged attack, which left the boy screaming in pain with burns to his face and arms. Mr Reese pointed out that Doody, a former bouncer, was holding the gun and had it tucked precariously into the waistband of his jeans. You're suggesting that Mr Doody was scared of Mr Pulko, said Mr Reese. I thought that he was scared, said Ketch. Doody laughed in the dock when Ketch said he was easily scared. Ketch told the jury, Can I tell you something? I'm a nice person from a nice family. I'm a good father, a responsible father, and I'm working. Why would I harm a little innocent boy who I don't know? I'm very sorry for what I've done. I know I made a mistake, but I did not know what was inside this bottle, and I was forced to do it. The trial continues. Hi, I'm Hugh, and I'm reading the other headline from uh, Friday's edition. That's February the 15th, which reads, Pet dog seller forged health records to dupe buyer. A dog seller forged health certificates in order to dupe a woman into buying his pooch, which had a heart condition. Dwayne Fowler also told the buyer, Tracy Lowe, that the animal was 18 months old, when it was actually between the ages of four and five. Colette Orton, prosecuting, said Miss Lowe travelled from Nottingham to Worcester to pick up the dog, which she paid £850 for. She found the animal through an advert on petsforhomes.uk, sorry, petsforhomes.co.uk, and only realised the dog had some issues when she got it home. Ms. Lowe took the pet to the vet due to its odd behaviour, and it was at this point that she found out its real age and that it had a heart murmur, the magistrates were told. Ms. Orton said she contacted Anne Robinson from Henwick Vets in Worcester and asked why she signed the health certificates. She, that is Mrs. Robinson, asked her to email the certificates. They were fraudulent copies of certificates and her signature. Fowler of Patterdale Drive, Worcester, told police he had bought the dog from a group of travellers and admitted that it had never been to Henwick Vets. Mark Sherwood, defending, said Fowler purchased the dog two months before selling it. He added, when he spoke to the buyer, who I think is a dog breeder, 
She asked if he had any certificates to confirm the dog's health. Magistrates were told that Fowler then modified an existing certificate for a different dog and handed it to the buyer. Mr Sherwood said the defendant, who did not think the animal was ill, just wanted to get rid of the dog because it did not get on with the other dog he owned. Fowler, aged 31, also had concerns about how it would behave around children. Ms Lowe still owns the dog, the court heard. Fowler, who pleaded guilty to fraud yesterday, has a previous conviction for stealing clothes from Asda last year. Worcester Magistrates Court told him to pay £850 in compensation, £85 in costs and an £85 victim surcharge. It also handed him a 26-week night curfew. The sale took place on September the 27th last year. Hello, I'm Moira. I've got the headline from Saturday the 16th of February. Dragged through court over parking row. A landscape gardener claims a pensioner who took him to court for parking near his Worcester home was obsessed with him. Nick Whitehead had to defend himself at Worcester Magistrates Court after Peter Chance instigated a private prosecution against him for parking his car on the pavement a few doors down from the 82-year-old's home in Lavender Road, Barbourne. Mr Whitehead of St John's was accused of obstructing the free passage along a highway, namely the public pavement outside 64 Lavender Road, but was found not guilty in court on February the 5th. The 44-year-old said that he began working for a customer in Lavender Road in spring last year and would visit once a fortnight, parking outside for approximately 15 minutes each time. Mr Whitehead told the Worcester News, I was warned about Peter by his neighbours. He came out and started taking photos and quoting references out of the highway code. It is so tight down there with the truck and trailer, I had no choice but to park on the path. Peter called up the police and the council to report me. I also contacted the police and they assured me I was fine to park there as I was only on the premises for 15 minutes at a time and parking is a struggle. Mr Whitehead claimed that Mr Chance repeatedly sent him letters and added, I reported him for harassment to the police. However, as he has never physically knocked on my door, they cannot do anything. In 2015, Mr Chance was charged with using threatening, abusive or disorderly words or behaviour to cause harassment in a case unrelated to Mr Whitehead and was due to stand trial at Worcester Magistrates Court on August the 4th of that year, but the prosecution was dropped. Mr Whitehead said that over the past eight months he has appeared in court four times due to Mr Chance's private prosecution against him, which has cost him... £1,600 in total on solicitor's fees. The Magistrates' Court did rule that Mr Whitehead's costs would be reimbursed, but it was not clear whether that would cover the full amount. Mr Whitehead said he was told that Mr Chance would only have had to pay £30 to cover his own costs for the prosecution. It's absolutely frustrating that we have to foot the bill and this guy's made my life a living hell and walked away, Mr Whitehead said. 
I thought he would have accrued costs, but he just walked out of the court while the money comes out of central funds. So basically, the taxpayer paid. Nothing is stopping him from doing all this again. If he'd got a fine, it may have stopped him going after more people. It's terrible, Justice. You win in court and think, thank God for that. I can't put a price on waking up at 3am with constant stress over being dragged through the court over mowing a lawn. I've worked as a gardener for 25 years in Worcester and have never come across anything like this. I became his project. He was obsessed with me. The Worcester News attempted to contact Mr Chance, but he did not want to comment on the matter. This is Paddy reading the headline for Monday, February the 18th, which was, Plea for free hospital parking has been rejected. A plea to scrap parking charges at Worcester's Hospital was rejected by the County Council leaders. Worcestershire County Council's Conservatives rejected a call from its Labour opposition to contact the Chief Executive of the County's NHS Trust and the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, about the problems caused by dangerous and antisocial parking near the Worcester's three hospitals and urged them to scrap parking charges. The motion also asked whether money could be put forward by the government to trial free parking at the county hospitals. Councillor Chris Bloor said that the council could do something to save money and improve the lives of residents who live near hospitals, as well as putting money back into the pockets of key hospital staff and the seriously ill. He said the council was picking up the burden and the cost when people park recklessly or antisocially and the council did not have the money to employ more enforcement officers to hand out punishments. Councillor Bloor said that he was just asking for two letters to be sent and wanted to get the ball rolling and start a dialogue between the council, NHS and the government on how to tackle the problem. Putting forward the motion, he said, hospitals are struggling from overfunding, but the gap should not be filled by charging sick patients, anxious relatives or hard-pressed NHS staff for an essential services. We have spoken to part-time NHS workers and the patients who are priced out of their car parks, shift workers and on-call clinical staff who start their shifts in the early hours and late at night are forced to choose between car parking charges or taxes when no public transport is available or park for free near residents' houses. Councillor John Smith, who's Cabinet Member for Health and Wellbeing, said the call was totally unsustainable and would cause Worcestershire's acute hospitals to at least £5 million a year if charges were dropped. Councillor Smith asked if the Labour councillors wanted to see the hospital lose millions through free parking and then lose millions more a year through having to maintain and update the hospital car parks. He said, we all know car parking is a contentious issue. I'm sure everyone here would love to have a free 
parking. But unfortunately, in the real world, there's no such thing as free car parking. The land has to be purchased, adequately serviced, maintained, and in many cases, lighting and security needs to be installed. My understanding is that when the Worcestershire Royal was built through a Labour government, it was never big enough. We all knew it at the time, but nobody would listen. Councillor Pat Agar said that staff and patients parking around the hospital was making life misery for parts of Rungswood and Warnden, and the hospital was currently a bad neighbour when it came to parking. She said expensive car parking charges were disproportionately affecting pensioners and the poor. Councillor Peter MacDonald said the hospitals are charging exorbitant amounts at times when people are at their most vulnerable and at a time when austerity had taken its toll on hard-working families. He said if it was morally wrong to charge patients who use the hospital every day and make their families worry about paying for parking. It was another case of profit over patients and the NHS should not be relying on car parking charges for funds, he added. Councillor Alan Amos said the motion was one of those popular things but one without any seriously thought or intelligence gone into it and the motion was pointless. The cabinet member for highways said the hospital car park was already chock-a-block with charges in place and buses were struggling to get in and out. He said offering free parking would make a bad situation worse. Councillor Andy Roberts, who represents Warnden, said he hoped the motion was through naivety and not politics because a horrendous amount of misinformation surrounded it. He said seriously ill patients attending Worcestershire Royal could park for free. The problem isn't the charge, it's the capacity of the car park, he said. That comes back to the planning permission, which only allowed for 75% capacity, and we have suffered ever since. It is a capacity problem when it comes to its roots through PFI and the planning permission, and you can look in the history books for who gave that. Councillor Udall said it was a sick elderly, most vulnerable, who were finding the hospital, no, funding the hospital, sorry. It is budget cuts, inefficient mismanagement, and Tory governments have caused the financial problems of the trust and not the patients. He said further cuts to public transport had left patients and their families with no alternative but to drive to the hospital. Now the first of two headlines for Tuesday, February the 19th. Two children in hospital after crash. And this article begins with a picture of two red parked cars damaged in that crash, which took place near St Clement's Church of England Primary School. <clears throat> two children were taken to hospital after a crash involving a parked car outside a city school. Hennick Road was completely closed from the level crossing on Sunday, February the 17th, 
after a car crashed into a parked car near St Clement's Church of England Primary School. Ambulances, police and fire crews all attended the scene following the crash at about midday. It appears the parked car shunted forward into another, with an eyewitness describing seeing three damaged cars. A spokeswoman for West Midlands Ambulance said, We were called by police just before midday to reports of a car which had collided with a parked car. Two ambulances attended and we conveyed two patients to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Both were children that we took to hospital. She said the ambulance crews left the scene just before 1pm. The second headline from Tuesday, February the 19th, a man who died jogging identified. A family member has come forward to identify a jogger who died after collapsing in the street following a police appeal that reached thousands of people. Emergency services were called to Crookbarrow Way in Worcester at 5.55pm on Saturday, February the 16th, following reports that a man who was out jogging had collapsed. The man, now known to be a 56-year-old from Worcester, was taken to hospital but died later that evening. On Sunday, police appealed to the public to help identify the man and thousands of people saw the Worcester News article on that plea. Speaking on Sunday, Detective Sergeant David Hall of West Mercia Police said... It is unusual for us to have been unable to identify someone, but despite numerous inquiries, we haven't been able to identify this man. While we're not treating his death as suspicious, we desperately want to get in touch with this man's family and friends so that he can be put to rest. Unfortunately, he did not have any distinguishing marks, such as scars or tattoos, and the only possession he had on him were a key and a silver Seiko watch. We are hoping that by releasing his description to the public, it will encourage people to take the time to think about family, friends or neighbours who may fit the description and who have not been seen since yesterday. Yesterday, West Mercia Police said a file has been prepared for the coroner and officers thanked the public for sharing the appeal. Mum during <coughs> mystery attack at nightclub. A mum believes she was the victim of an unprovoked attack at a city nightclub <coughs> which left her bleeding heavily and needing her scalp gluing black back together. Elise Dodd was at Velvet on Saturday night when she was struck on the back of the head, leaving her with concussion and unable to work for a week. The 26-year-old, who co-owns fitness studio The Movement Malvern, said blood was pouring down my face after the alleged attack. Miss Dodd, from Worcester, was on a night out with friends and partner Dave Reynolds, 30, who co-owns the studio when the incident took place at around 2.30am on Sunday, February the 17th. I'm baffled that we have such evil people in our world, and I really hope, with the help of the police, we will find the person responsible, she wrote on Facebook. 
Miss Dodd told the Worcester News how she was struck while on her own for three seconds on the lower floor of the club while Mr Reynolds went to the toilet. She said she'd not had any kind of altercation earlier in the night which could have led to an attack. I put my hand up to the back of my head and when I moved it away there was a pool of blood in the palm of my hand, she explained. I put pressure on it and the blood was running down the back of my neck and down my back. I felt really sick and my head was throbbing. I was just really confused as to who had done it. When I moved round there were girls behind me but they weren't looking at me. There was nothing obvious on the floor. If it was a glass it would have smashed. I thought it could have been a light fitting had fallen from the ceiling. Whatever it was, someone kept hold of it. Miss Dodd, who studied at Hartbury College and Blessed Edward Oldcorn Catholic College, said she informed club staff who called for police and an ambulance. The police car took me to A&E because the ambulance service is so stretched, she said. Once it was to Royal Hospital with her partner, she was x-rayed and her head was glued together. Miss Dodd's nine-year-old stepson was at home being babysat by her brother and as she had not fallen unconscious at any point, doctors agreed to allow her to go home the same day. Referring to the incident, she said, We won't know what happened until the police watch the CCTV. This has happened before in Velvet when someone got smacked around the back of the head. During a Halloween night out last year, Adam Newman required stitches after also being struck on the back of the head at the club, he claims. Miss Dodd gave her name and number to the club, who said, who assured her they would investigate the incident. She said she was upset that no one from the club contacted her the next day as promised. A West Mercia police spokeswoman said, We were called to report of an assault at around 2.30am on February the 17th in Angel Place, Worcester. A female was conveyed to hospital and discharged later the same day. The investigation is ongoing and we will be reviewing the CCTV footage. A spokeswoman for West Midlands Ambulance Service said, We were called just after 2am, but we were cancelled by the police. We didn't attend. A patient had fallen. Velvet did not respond before we went to print. If anybody witnessed the disorder, call police on 101 and quote reference 60S170219. Now, this is the headline from Thursday, February 21st. <clears throat> There's a picture uh, headed by bin sinners of two overflowing biffer uh, waste disposal things. So, two fast food takeaways are facing council action in a row over rubbish overflow from the bins. The Worcester News understands that Worcester City Council is considering warning Walkstar and Papa John's in St John's about their overflowing bins. Councillor Richard Udall, who represents the area, uploaded a picture of the overflowing bins in Bushwalk on Monday. He said Papa John's was fined for littering in September and warned that local residents had had enough of the mess. The city councillor added, they are not above the law. The bins are regularly overflowing and bags are spilling onto the street. <clears throat> People get, can't get past the bins, especially mobility scooters. The bags take most up of the footpath. <clears throat> 
There are rats around the bins. The bags are often left open and rubbish blows into the street. The two businesses are going to be visited visited today, that was February the 10th, by the council's enforcement officers and potentially prosecuted. It's almost certain action will be taken. Residents are extremely anger, angry over how they have been totally ignored by both establishments. He added that the two businesses use one communal bin each. Michael Bosworth, who's manager of the British Bush Inn in Bushwalk condemned the state of the bins, although he also <coughs> sympathised with the businesses, because he said, I found it has been putting customers off coming into the pub. It's not ideal. But they don't have much choice over where to put the rubbish. In regards to hygiene, they can't store it inside where they would be cooking the business buildings are very small. It's a bit of a damned if you do and damned if you don't. Mr Boswood, who's 26, said the bins have drawn in seagulls and pigeons, which feast on food waste in the bags. He added that the council should speak to the outlets to try and find a solution. The manager floated the idea of increasing the frequency of waste collections. The Worcester News understands that the council may issue formal warnings to the businesses over the bins. If these warnings are ignored, it could ultimately result in the council taking court action against the two outlets. A city council spokesman said, we're investigating an issue relating to waste in Bush Walk. There are a range of powers available to us to deal with such matters, but both Walkstar and Papa John's were unavailable for comment. Mm. I've actually seen that place and the rubbish that's around there. Um, I can verify that at times it looks decidedly seedy. Now some sports articles, and first of all, a piece of football nostalgia. Worcester City and the headline for this is recalling two City England Sea players. George Forsyth's call-up to an FA Select team managed by England Sea boss Paul Fairclough evoked memories of Worcester City's past non-league internationals. Goalkeeper Danny McDonnell and winger Adam Wilde remain the club's only two players to represent their country, both of whom were called up near the start of Fairclough's 16-year reign. Wilde made history by featuring for the Three Lions in a 3-1 defeat to Belgium in Ostend, 16 years and one day before Forsyth's appearance at Edgar Street. Then 24, the playmaker donned the number nine jersey, but only after a frantic search for his passport that eventually got found by his father in Southampton. It was unbelievable, really, just an amazing experience, said Wilde. I didn't know I'd been selected, so when John Barton told me, it was a shock, but it was an honour to represent your country at whatever level. 
I would have been happy just to be in the squad, so to play was even better. When they were playing the national anthem before the match, it sent a shiver down my spine, and I know it was non-league, but it was the best thing I've ever done. To be stood there in an England kit with the national anthem playing is something you don't think is going to happen to you. Wilde went on to make 72 appearances for City, notching 10 goals between 2002 and 2004. Long-serving MacDonald then followed in his footsteps, appearing once in the Four Nations Tournament in Scotland in May 2004. The man himself, who played 362 times for Worcester between 2000 and 2009, admitted his inclusion in the close-season event had been a bolt from the blue. MacDonald said ahead of travelling, I was shocked more than anything because I didn't expect this at all. It's a massive honour to play for my country, but it hasn't really sunk in yet. It's a great chance to train and play with some quality people and I'll give it my best shot. There are a lot of good goalkeepers in the conference and to be picked ahead of some of those is very flattering. Despite carrying a niggling shoulder injury, the City favourite played in the second of England's three matches, a 2-0 defeat to Wales. Speaking after his bow, MacDonald said, It's been fantastic. We're being treated really well, almost like royalty, and the training has been really good. The lads have been great and make me feel really welcome. They've got an excellent goalkeeping coach in Mike Kelly. The main thing for me is to get something out of this week, and I am. I put off having treatment to come up to Scotland, but I do need to get it sorted in time for the season because it's likely to take around a month of physio to fully recover. Okay, I've got a story about basketball. Worcester Wolves celebrated a welcome British Basketball League victory over fellow strugglers, Surrey Scorchers, at the University of Worcester Arena. Wolves raced into a 51-31 half-time lead and held on to a similar advantage with six minutes remaining before defying a strong Surrey comeback to emerge with an 84-79 success. It was only their second league win of the season in 20 attempts and the first since beating Plymouth Raiders on the opening night. Interim head coach Tony Gobelotto said... It's a win for the fans. They're the ones who needed this. I'm extremely happy for them. We played well in the first half to get 20 points ahead, but then took our foot off the gas. But a win is a win, and we now have to build on it. A Leicester Prosper double got Worcester off to an inspired start. A Daryl Coombs finger roll and a corner three had Scorchers calling for a timeout only five minutes into the evening, trailing 13-4. When play resumed, Combs immediately jabbed the ball out of Surrey hands to gift the opportunity for Deshaun Freeman to announce his long-awaited return from injury with a powerful layup. A 22-12 first quarter lead accelerated as Freeman got into his flow. At three minutes before half-time, he accepted a defence-freezing assist from Prosper to thump in his sixth score of the evening and push his side 37-22 in front. Coombs typified Wolves' brimming confidence 
when sprinting coast to coast to finalise the host's healthy interval cushion. However, matters slowed down when the teams returned from the changing rooms. Scorch's dangerous guard combo of Teo Ogdengby and Quincy Taylor were able to repeatedly penetrate to the basket. A 77-57 advantage ought to have been sufficient, but home fans were forced to endure a nervy ending. Taylor sank a triple and converted a bonus foul shot to reduce the arrears to 80-69 with three minutes remaining. More points for Ogdengbe closed the deficit to 82-75, entertaining the final... I'm sorry entering the final minute before the visitors ran out of time to spoil Worcester's triumph. Freeman led all scorers with 23 points, supported by 16 from Robert Crawford. Freeman said, I've been out a while. It felt like months. I'm just happy to be back out with my teammates and to get the win was amazing. Thank you, Moira. Now on this day... These are events which took place on the, this particular date, the 21st of February, in past years. A little bit of history. On this day, in 1437, James I, King of Scotland, was assassinated by a group of dissident nobles led by Sir Robert Graham. 1595, Robert Southwell, English poet and Jesuit martyr was hanged, drawn and quartered at Tyburn. Yuck. On this day, 1613, Michael Romanov was elected Tsar of Russia, founding the House of Romanov, which ruled until the revolution in March 1917. On this day, 1849, Britain annexed the Punjab at the end of the Second Sikh War. 21st of February 1858. The first electric burglar alarm was installed by Edwin T. Holmes of Boston, Massachusetts. 21st of February 1910. Sir Douglas Bader, Second World War pilot, pilot, fighter pilot, was born. Despite losing both legs, he continued to fly and is regarded as a hero of the Battle of Britain. And those of us of any age at all will remember the famous film starring, I think it was Kenneth Moore yeah. as Bader, yeah. and uh, complete with his black Labrador dog. Yeah. 1916, Germany launched an all-out attack on the French fortress of Verdun. On February the 21st, 1952, identity cards were abolished in Britain. In 1965, American black Muslim leader Malcolm X was shot dead while addressing a meeting in New York. And in 1988, on February the 21st, the grave of Boadicea, the warrior queen who fought the Romans almost 2,000 years ago was located by archaeologists under Platform 8 at King's Cross Railway Station. Fancy building a railway station over here. Well, I know. How rude. At least it wasn't Platform 9 and 3 quarters. <clears throat> and on this day last year, 
the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge were dressed like a couple of construction workers when they visited a unique Sunderland bridge which the city hopes will help regeneration in that area. Okay, this is a letter from the uh, edition on Tuesday, February the 19th, from uh, Matthew Jenkins, Neil Lawrenson, Louise Stephen and Louise Griffiths, who are all Worcester Green Party councillors. Sir, the strike by schoolchildren across the country on Friday was inspiring. However, it is also shameful that so many young people felt they had to take this action. The science of climate change is clear and has been for decades, yet most of us have ignored or even denied the facts, happy to continue to damage the environment, because to actually take heed of the science would mean drastically changing our way of life. The impact of our choices is evident. Insect populations collapsing, mass extinction, wildfires, droughts, heat waves, floods. This is the world that we are leaving our children. No wonder they are angry. To those who say that these children should stay in school, the law states that children must be in school unless there are exceptional circumstances. As Green Party MP Carolyn Lucas said, when David Attenborough is warning that the future of civilization is at risk, that counts as exceptional circumstances. Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old Swede who started the protest, said to the rich and powerful at Davos, I don't want your hope, I don't want you to be hopeful, I want you to panic and act as if our house is on fire, because it is. Hey, my letter is from Chris Martin of Abberley. Sir, I refer to the story on Monday regarding the appeal for free parking at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Either Councillor John Smith, the Cabinet Member for Health and Wellbeing, was misquoted or needs to think a little more about any statement that he makes. He said, We all know car parking is a contentious issue. I'm sure everyone here would love to have free car parking, but... Unfortunately, in the real world, there is no such thing as free car parking. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I have never seen a pay and display machine at County Hall. This is from Dr Frank Crompton of Rushwick. <clears throat> he says, we all feel the cuts in due course. So, I wish to thank the many, thank the many readers of the Worcester News who signed our petition to save the Hive Archive and Archaeology Services from financial cuts. Our campaign to fight these cuts was unsuccessful in spite of having 1,500 signatures on our petition. The impact of these cuts will become apparent in due course, but we are fearful but it will damage historical research about the Worcestershire history at all levels. Mm -hmm. Well, my contribution is from a Westminster view of Friday, February the 15th, and the heading is Fury at Chope Misguided. 
Bills should not go through on the nod. Tory Sir Christopher Chope stands at the moment as the most reviled and vilified MP at Westminster. This is because in the Commons last week, he shouted, object, when a bill designed to deal with the ghastly practice of female genital mutilation, FGM, was called. If he had not intervened, the bill would probably have gone through on the nod. But now it will probably be delayed for a long time before, if ever, it sees the light of day again. This attracted a ferocious barrage of protests, not only from his political opponents, but from members on his own side as well, including cabinet ministers. But at the risk of being verbally lynched myself, and this article is by Chris Moncrief, the MP, I would dare to say that Chope is a principled and honourable member. No bill, however important, should be allowed to leave the Commons without being carefully considered by MPs. Otherwise, it is in danger of going forward full of loopholes, which would trump the true purpose of the measure. So although his critics would never admit it, Chope has performed a valuable service in ensuring that the House of Commons does the job which it exists to do. The very idea that an MP should be bullied out of Parliament by her own constituency party, this is the next point he, Mr Moncrief makes, or indeed anybody, is short, nothing short of monstrous. Labour's Luciana Berger had the temerity to criticise the apparent anti-Semitism in the party. Disgracefully, this led to a motion of no confidence in her being put before her constituency party in the Liverpool seat of Wavertree. This, if it had been allowed to go through, would have signalled the end of the political career of a hard-working, popular and highly effective MP. Happily, common sense, not cruelty, prevailed and the motion was withdrawn. Now, unsurprisingly, there are moves to wind up this party. But first things first, the party is now being investigated by the Labour Party as a whole. So much for the often repeated claim that the Labour Party is a broad church which welcomes all people of a left-of-centre stance. But what a sad commentary on the state of British politics today that such savage and dictatorial action should even be contemplated. No wonder people are becoming increasingly reluctant to enter the world of politics if they are to be treated in this scandalous way. So she's chucked the towel in, hasn't she? She has. Yes. A letter here from Dr Malcolm Nixon of Worcester. Sir, there were no surprises in your news item outlining the latest budget proposals from the County Council. That is, a council tax rise of 4% approved February the 15th. A raft of cuts together with some spectacular expenditures. Unfortunately, the issue of funding for social care needs to be put on one side, as I'm beginning to think that this is a convenient smokescreen for what else lurks in this budget. The still savage cuts to the county's previously reduced archive and archaeological service, 
quarter of a million pounds and the library budget, £200,000, are but two examples of deliberate and ruthless cuts to services which are actually for everybody, as Councillor Marcus Hart would no doubt agree with, yet could so easily be funded if the council were not hell-bent on vanity projects such as the Gellervelt Park Bridge. In an ideal world, of course, this bridge would offer the whole community an excellent recreational extension to walking and cycling routes. But we no longer live in such a world, so perhaps wait for that future moment to arrive. The expenditure on consultants' fees alone would offset the cuts to the archive and library services, and yet such projects are vigorously pursued. Why? Yet again, the public are expected to finance a council which is increasingly out of touch with the communities they are supposed to serve. This debate should be about priorities and understanding those might just enable the public to spend the extra on rates while accepting that it would be money wisely and well spent. We do but live in hope. Okay. I've got a, a fair point here by Sam Greenway. Shambolic independent group should go back to the ballot box. Has there ever been a more shambolic launch of a new political group as the Labour breakaway independent group on Monday? The not-so-magnificent Seven called a press conference and began with group member Luciana Berger describing herself as a Labour MP despite quitting the party only moments earlier and seemingly forgetting the whole reason she was there. After that slipper, the event moved on smoothly enough, although their new way of doing politics looked more like the old way as they quickly began attacking opponents. Then the new group's website embarrassingly crashed, before Angela Smith, claiming she had left a racist party, went on to appear on BBC television talking about people being a funny tinge. Remarks she was apologising for a few hours later. You have to suspect, based on day one, this group of independents will go the way of many backbench groups and pointless parties, a political irrelevance very quickly. What baffled me most was that I assumed this group of seven, having quit Labour, would immediately call by-elections on their seats. All seven say they support democracy yet are calling for a second referendum and ignoring the result of the first one, and now have the audacity to ignore the calls to go back to the ballot box. When people go to cast their vote, many make their choice based on which party the candidate is from, not the person. Changing the party you represent surely means having a by-election is the moral and right thing to do. For example, Mark Reckless and Douglas Carswell did that when they defected from the Conservatives to UKIP. So far, none of these seven have, what are they scared of? Mm. Democracy? Now, this is a piece from Mike Levins of Worcester, headed Why Change is Needed. So, as the chaos of Brexit continues, perhaps it's time to consider just what is wrong with a country's current system of governance. And why, due to the use of the first-past-the-post election system, it's impossible for governments to fairly reflect the interests of the people. 
Firstly, the results of referendums are merely advisory rather than being legally binding. So in effect, therefore, governments can ignore the results should they so choose. Secondly, members of parliament are elected to be representatives rather than delegates and can, therefore, choose to ignore the wishes of their constituents if they so wish. This problem is compounded because under the the first-past-the-post system of election, a great many MPs have made it into Parliament, despite the fact that the majority of their constituents actually voted for someone else. Our own minister, Robin Walker, being one such case in having been elected by 24,731 votes, compared to the 26,692 votes gained by other candidates. This means that the majority of Worcester constituents are effectively unrepresented in Parliament. Thirdly, because a significant number of MPs see politics as a career, any decisions they make must be tempered by the impact those decisions may have on their own career path. At times, this will invariably bring them into direct conflict with the interests of their constituents, and that's what Mike Levins thinks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my Mm -hmm. second letter is one published Mm -hmm. on Thursday, that's today, um, by Paul Tonkinson of Worcester, and it's called We're Being Kept in the Dark. Sir... I've reported two broken streetlights out of the three situated on the footpath between Bilford Road and Nuffield Leisure Centre to the County Council four times since October. I've been told twice that they have been fixed when in fact they haven't. The affected lights still remain unlit. The footpath is dangerous and the lights are essential for a safety and well-being aspect in the evening, especially at this time of year. I've contacted my local councillor who's also had no luck in resolving matters. Street lighting is a basic service that everyone relies on. What is the point of telling people to report a problem when it seems nothing then gets done? And in my case, you're also given misleading information. Doesn't our council tax go in part to fund this sort of thing? Letter from Alan Amos, City and County Councillor for Bedwardine. Sir... The left wing are already giving us all the predictable excuses for this ISIS woman as a vulnerable, a victim and radicalised. Whereas the truth is that she is criminally and carefully planned to fly to Syria and chose to live with them right until the very last day of their final defeat. So what is the betting that within a month or less she'll be back in the UK? There'll be a sham arrest by border officials, will be given priority NHS treatment and priority housing in a secret location. She will go unpunished because she has craftily taken out the insurance policy of being repeatedly pregnant (laughs) and will have to look after her child, won't she? Heard it all before? The answer, 
let her rot in a refugee camp and remove her British citizenship, which the Home Secretary has the power to do. So just do it. But mark my words, she'll soon be back here living on welfare benefits. Crime pays in this country, doesn't it? Okay, my letter's from <coughs> Trevor James of Worcester. Sir, what a mess the shambles is. Block paving taken up for pipe laying and replaced with badly laid tarmac. Why not replace with block paving again? An unsightly mess. This is a letter from Wendy Hands, who's obviously uh, trying to justify her existence. Sir, I gather that somewhere on the internet... I'm described as contributing to the press and indulging in subversive politics. From the OED description, subversive means overturn, upset, effect or destruction of religion, monarchy, construction, principles, morality. I belong to the British Legion and UKIP because I fully support patriotism I take exception to the term subversive. Those responsible on the internet ought to clean up their act. What has been alleged amounts to slander. Oh dear, poor Wendy. Thank you, Paddy. And now for some articles from this week's evening Worcester News. So the first one is headed, Woman Was Assaulted. A former British National Party BNP candidate has been fined after admitting assaulting a woman. Ashley Bradley was sentenced for assault by beating when he appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court yesterday. Sarah Heard, prosecuting, told magistrates the assault to victim Jodie Dale, which Bradley admitted happened at noon on August the 21st last year. Ms Hurd said Bradley left his flat to confront Miss Dale's boyfriend, Nathan Page. Bradley told magistrates his sister Sonia had come crying to him after she claimed Mr Page had said there was a bad smell in the area with the comments aimed at her, a claim Mr Page disputed when he gave evidence. Ms Hurd said Bradley angrily confronted Mr Page and followed this Jodie Dale had become and following this Jodie Dale had become involved. Ms Hurd said the assault is a slap. In a statement Jodie says she was stunned falling to the ground. She says I banged my head against the wall it sent me flying. I felt dizzy. This defendant has previous convictions, the last time in 2014 for common assault. He has a history of this type of offending. Magistrates heard Charlie Gale, an independent witness who lived near the incident, heard a heated argument before watching it unfold. The witness said she saw a man slap a woman to the face And when she rushed out to help the woman, she was crying in pain and shaken. Robert Skinner, defending, described the assault as an open hand slap, stressing it had caused no visible injuries and the victim suffered no other injuries as a result of her fall. 
Mr Skinner said there was a history between his client and the victim's partner, as they were neighbours in Chedworth Drive, and Bradley had complained about Mr Page to the Housing Association. Mr Skinner pointed out Bradley had confronted Mr Page that day and on previous occasions had ha had, has had to confront him about noise. Magistrates fined Bradley £120 and ordered him to pay compensation of £50, costs of £135 and a victim surcharge of £30, a total of £335. <coughs> Harry Turner, chairman of the bench, explained they found Bradley not guilty on another charge, assault of Mr Page, as they felt there was reasonable doubt due to inconsistencies in the evidence they heard. This was after Mr Page told the court he had been choked by Bradley after his hands were put around his throat. But his friend, Stuart Hughes, told magistrates he saw Bradley put Mr Page in a headlock. Mr Skinner argued there had in fact been no assault, instead Bradley pushing Mr Page away from him. Bradley stood as BNP candidate for the Gorse Hill Ward in the Worcester City Council elections in 2014, receiving 31 votes. <laughs> A retired primary school teacher drove the wrong way down a dual carriageway during a trip to, a trip out to get wine. <clears throat> Police found an empty bottle of Chardonnay in Rosalind Davis's car after she was pulled over on the A449 near Worcester. Mm -hmm. A member of the fire service spotted the 60-year-old's Hyundai heading towards him when he was returning home from work, the court heard. Magistrates were told that the man pulled over to let the defendant pass and then moved onto the other side of the road to follow her. Colette Orton, prosecuting, said the witness later saw Davis driving towards him again, prompting him to pull over. She said police officers were called to the scene and found an empty bottle of wine in the defendant's car. They also recognised she was under the influence of alcohol, the magistrates were told. The court heard that officers then took the defendant to Worcester Police Station where she failed to complete a breathalyzer test because she was not blowing into it properly and did not create a seal around the mouthpiece. Mark Turnbull, defending, insisted that this was not deliberate and said that Davis of Church Road Crowell near Worcester was quite intoxicated. He said she deeply regrets what's happened and is thankful that no one was hurt. This could have been so much worse. She has very little, almost no recollection of what happened. When officers attended the roadside, they didn't even attempt to make a roadside breath test. They felt she was in no state to do that. He said the defendant started drinking because of a long-running family dispute which culminated in her being advised to stay away from a charity gala that had been organised by one of her children. 
Davis was banned from driving for 20 months and told to pay a £350 fine, £85 in costs and an £85 victim surcharge after pleading guilty to failing to provide a specimen for analysis in Worcester Magistrates Court yesterday. The offence took place on January the 24th. A 75-year-old woman was nearly defrauded out of her life savings of £27,000. Police are investigating the scam call in which the woman from Sneetchel near Worcester was contacted by someone claiming to be from BT who said that they were investigating online hackers and needed her to install some applications on her computer. Without realising, the woman had installed applications that enabled the fraudsters to remotely access her computer and had provided them with her bank details, which resulted in her very nearly being defrauded out of £27,000. Fortunately, staff at her bank spotted the unusual online activity on her account and were able to put a stop to the transactions. But this was a deeply distressing situation for the woman who came very close to losing her life savings. She's also had to go through the lengthy process of changing her email address, passwords, phone numbers and bank details. Constable Richard Fulkes from West Mercia Police said, We take reports of this nature very seriously, and while inquiries are ongoing, this incident is currently being investigated as part of a wider West Mercia Police initiative called Project Prospero, aimed at tackling online and courier fraud. These fraudsters are often very convincing and give the person they are calling no reason to believe they are not genuine. If you think someone is trying to scam you, tell someone straight away. Don't be pressured. Give yourself time to stop and think. If in any doubt, hang up the phone and do not provide your personal banking details. If anyone receives a call like this, we would always advise them to report the incident either to police or action fraud. If you can, ring 1471 to see if you can get the number the caller was calling from too. These criminals tend to prey on and target people who are elderly or vulnerable, and we would always ask anyone who has an elderly or vulnerable relative, friend or neighbour to make sure they are aware of what to do should, should they receive one of these calls to prevent them from falling victim. For more details, visit actionfraud.police.uk or visit the West Mercia Police website. <clears throat> this is a piece about a uh, city is not deaf-friendly, um, from by David Southall, I think. I'm angry. In fact, I'm incandescent. It's said that the measure of a civilised society is how it treats its members with different needs. And today, in Worcester, we are failing to be civilised. Imagine getting a letter from your GP asking you to book an appointment by phone. Not so easy as we know. How many of us have waited and waited and waited to speak to somebody at the doctor's surgery, patiently going through the indecipherable number of options, press 17 if you want to talk about your varicose veins. <laughs> now, imagine that you live alone and are deaf. Your main language is British Sign Language and you can't use the phone. So how do you book an appointment? It's even harder, or in fact impossible. 
you see how the things we take for granted become barriers for those with specific needs. I've even heard of cases of friends or interpreters phoning on the person's behalf only to be told that they cannot give the information because of confidentiality. But imagine it's even worse than that. Imagine you need to go to accident and emergency or someone needs to explain to you the complexities of your operation or that your benefits are being threatened and you need to fill out a form that is not in your language. Just as BSL is different from English. Thank God that lots of groups have charities that advocate on their both behalf. Deaf Direct is such a charity. It provides an interpreting service for deaf people, support for those who are hard of hearing, outreach to those who might be isolated, and a community for those who may not know where to turn. Deaf Direct has an outstanding reputation within Worcestershire, but despite this, and years that has, been, has served the deaf and hard of hearing communities, it is now faced with draconian cuts from Worcestershire County Council, which has withdrawn 100%, yes, 100% of its funding to the charity. Now, I know that it is a difficult time for local government. Too little money, too much to fund. I also know that each charity thinks it's important. But, and forgive me for being cynical, it seems that the big government often picks the softest target, the charities which will roll over quietly and not make a fuss. That way they don't feel bad press. No, they don't get bad press, and it's all pushed under the carpet. Now let me make one thing clear. I'm not speaking officially on behalf of direct deaf. The deaf community are well able to fight their own battles. I am, however, speaking as a resident of Worcester and as a friend of this charity who knows the value of their work and the differences it's made to the life of people. And let me make one more thing clear. You have picked the wrong target this time, WCC, my deaf and hard of hearing friends won't lie down and roll over. The service is much too important to them for that. They will fight to keep their services, and if they wish, and many of my hearing friends will join them. Come for them. <coughs> Stirring oh, article. Yes. And here's a feel good article Overwhelming response to Oscar. Loved ones of a little boy fighting leukaemia have thanked the community for their response to a campaign to support his family and find him a desperately needed stem cell donor. Five-year-old Oscar Saxel, Saxelby Lee has an aggressive form of leukaemia. His parents have been told they have only three months to find their son a life-saving blood stem cell transplant. A campaign, Hand in Hand for Oscar, was launched to raise money for Oscar and his parents. More than £5,000 has been raised. Kate Wilcock, 
head teacher of Oscar's school, Pitmaston Primary School, said, We are overwhelmed by the response from parents, schools, businesses and the community to the Hand in Hand for Oscar appeal. Thank you all for the generous donations and offers on behalf of the family and Pitmaston. We will be holding a number of events shortly, including a local sponsored staff abseil. Thank you again for your continued support. Oscar's dad, Jamie Lee, posted on the school's PTA Facebook page, would like to say a massive thank you to Pitmaston PTA. Since the school found out about Oscar being diagnosed with lymphoblastic leukaemia T-cell cancer, straight away they wanted to get involved and help us as a family. You've touched our hearts and we're so grateful. We can't thank you enough. We really can't. You've played a big part in Oscar's journey. Every time we talk about the teachers and the children at Pitmaston Primary School, Oscar's face just lights up without fail. And thank you every single person that has donated, shared and most importantly signed up to be a bone marrow or blood stem cell donor. Just remember, if you're not a match for our beautiful little warrior, you might be a match for someone else who's going through the same as Oscar. Please keep sharing. A massive thumbs up to you all. You've raised over £5,000 in a couple of days and it's still going up. It's a blessing to have your support and you should be proud of yourselves, each and every single one of you. This is something we'll never forget. God bless you all. On Saturday and Sunday, March the 2nd and 3rd, Pitmaston School will be hosting a DKMS registration event to find stem cell donors. This will be held from 9am to 3pm on both days at the school, Malvern Road, Worcester, WR24ZF. You'll be able to register and complete the test in one visit. Anyone aged between 17 and 55 can register. To register as a donor online, visit dkms.org.uk <coughs> oblique en oblique register now, all in lowercase. To support Oscar and his family, visit justgiving.com oblique crowdfunding oblique hand in hand for Oscar Saxelby Lee A Muslim charity has failed to respond to the city council's inquiries over how it used taxpayers cash Worcestershire County Council has written three letters to the Jalalabad Association this month over grant payments it received from the council. Former County Councillor Aladitta gave the charity, which runs the mosque in Vincent Road, over £2,000 from his divisional fund in 2012. This fund is essentially a pot of cash that can be spent on local causes and in this case it was supposed to pay for a day trip and computer equipment. However, worshippers at the mosque do not believe the money was spent as intended. 
They told the Worcester News they had not heard of a day trip taking place, nor seen any computers inside the mosque. Worcestershire County Council wrote three letters to the Jalalabad Association on February the 1st, the 8th and the 15th, questioning how the two payments from Councillor Ditter's divisional fund had been accounted for. A company working on behalf of the councillor hand-delivered the last of these letters on February the 16th. Council bosses have provided the Charity Commission with information about the two payments. The Charity Commission is investigating the Jalalabad Association over potential mismanagement and failure to submit accounts. Worcestershire County Council previously said its councillors are responsible for ensuring that their divisional funds are used for the intended purpose. Jalalabad's Association's chairman, Muhidur Rahman, said he was busy and hung up when the Worcester News asked him to comment. A pensioner claims his privacy is being invaded by the family next door because they have moved their trampoline close to his fence and can see into his garden. Derek Croucher, who lives in Albert Road in Droitwich, said he approached his neighbours over the issue, but they refused to move the trampoline, which the children use, away from the fence dividing his and their gardens. I asked for their consideration on my privacy, as it is upsetting and affecting our lives, said the 71-year-old. It means we cannot go into the garden without being watched. It invades our privacy. I want the kids to play, but my argument is why has the trampoline got to be so close to my fence, where it could cause damage? It is my fence. I want to make sure it doesn't break. It also gives them an opportunity to see over into my garden and look through my windows into my house. Every time I look out my window, I can see their trampoline. Whenever the children go on the trampoline, they can see into my house. Mr Croucher said that when the family first bought the trampoline last year, they placed it in the middle of their garden. But on Sunday, February the 17th, they moved the trampoline closer and Mr Croucher has been upset ever since. Mr Croucher said that when he approached his neighbours over the issue, they told him it is our fence and we can do what we like. Mr Croucher has a memorial in his garden dedicated to his sister, which is placed by the fence near the trampoline. Speaking about the memorial garden, he said... If I have to attend that, I feel uncomfortable. Mr Croucher lives in a property managed by Fortis Living and he claims that his neighbours told him he should move into a smaller house as there is only him and his ex-partner living in the four-bedroomed home. The Worcester News attempted to contact Mr Croucher's neighbours to offer them the chance to respond to his comments. However, no one at home, no one was at home when he called wished to speak to a reporter. Fortis Living did not provide a comment before he went to print. I've got a picture of three firemen with uh, defibrillators. A life-saving group from Morgan has been nominated again in the Worcester Education Awards. Heart Start Morgan, which provides defibrillator training and campaigns to have the machines installed around the region, having been put forward by the Community Involvement Award, and they won that title last year. <coughs> That'll do. That'll do. Thank you. Mm. Well, now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Thank you to Paddy, Hugh, Moira and Barry for reading and recording. 
We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll come back for more next week. So it's best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. And now for the obituaries. Dorothy Dot Allen passed away peacefully at home on January the 23rd, 2019, aged 83 years. A funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on March the 1st, 2019 at 11.30am. Geoffrey Charles Jeff Bullock passed away in hospital on February the 1st, 2019, aged 79 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, February the 27th at 12.15pm. Vicky Green, named Mason, of Beverly, Worcester, passed away suddenly whilst on holiday in France on January the 18th, 2019, aged 62 years. Service of thanksgiving to be held at St. Philip and St. James Parish Church, Hallow, WR2 6PW, on Friday, March the 1st at 11.30am. Arthur Haycock passed away peacefully on January the 22nd, aged 80 years. Funeral service to take place at St. Stephen's Church on Friday, March the 1st at 11am followed by a burial at Astwood Cemetery. Patricia Heath passed away peacefully at home on Friday, February the 8th, 2019, aged 74 years. Funeral service will take place at St Martin with St Peter Church, London Road, Worcester, on Thursday, March the 7th, 2019, at 2.30pm, followed by a short service of committal at Worcester Crematorium. Sydney George Jones passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on January the 27th, 2019, aged 84. The funeral will be held at Worcester Crematorium on March the 8th, 2019, at 11.30am. Kathleen Kate Phillips of Callowend passed away peacefully in hospital on January the 31st, 2019, aged 90 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, February the 28th, 2019, at 2.30pm. And Pearl Shooker, nay Chalice, passed away peacefully on Saturday, February the 2nd, 2019, at Worcestershire Royal Hospital, age 79. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, March the 1st, 2019, at 9.15am. Francis Victor, known as Frank Hughes, passed away peacefully at his home, on February the 8th, 2019, aged 90. 
Funeral service to be held at Worcester Crematorium Friday, March the 8th at 12.15pm. Frederick Ernest Fred Jones passed away at home in Lincoln on January the 20th, aged 87. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, February the 25th at 12.15pm. Sheila Kate Kite uh, is uh, born 25th of June 1938 uh, and died on the 29th of January 2019, passed away peacefully in her sleep. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, March the 1st uh, at 1pm. Joan Edith Taylor, knee nib, passed away peacefully on February the 1st, aged 80. Uh, funeral service has already taken place. Uh, Robert Bob Wilson, MBE, passed away peacefully but suddenly at home on February the 2nd, aged 82. Uh, funeral service has already taken place. Corin Allen passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on February the 12th, aged 67 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, February the 27th at 10am. No flowers pleased, donations for St Richard's Hospice. Florence May, or Fan, Atheridge, nay Hadley, passed peacefully away on February the 8th, aged 97. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, March the 5th at 1pm. Ina Evans died peacefully at Latimer Court on February the 14th, aged 94. Funeral at 11.30am Wednesday, March the 6th at Worcester Crematorium. John Jack Irvin of Worcester passed away suddenly in hospital on January the 30th, aged 76 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, February the 27th at 2.30. Etty Williams passed away peacefully at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on February the 10th, 2019, aged 89 years. The funeral service will take place at St Mary's Church, Kemsey on Tuesday, March the 5th at 1pm. David Griffiths of Worcester, formerly of Pershaw, he died on February the 11th, peacefully at the Lawns Nursing Home in Kemsey, aged 57 years. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, February the 26th at 10.45am. Harold Douglas Hughes, formerly employee of Archdale's, and captain of the Robin Skittle team, died peacefully on February the 5th, aged 96 years. The funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, February the 25th at 10am. <clears throat> Pamela Jean Green of Kemsey, aged 78, beloved wife of Redfords, Mum to Julia, Geoffrey, Nan to Lucy and Harriet, and great Nan to Jasmine, Mum-in-law to Rob and Kathleen, passed away in hospital on February the 10th, 2019. The funeral has been held. <laughs> 